0: Welcome to episode 35 of the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women. Today, we're continuing to look at Christmas through the eyes of women. And the first episode in the series was episode 33, and that one was about Anna the prophet. The second one was episode 34, and that was through the eyes of Elizabeth. And then today for episode 35, we are going to be looking through the eyes of Mary, the mother of Jesus, looking at the birth of Christ What can we learn from Mary and what can we learn about Jesus? That's what we're going to be checking out today. All right, let's go ahead and get started. Hey, millennial, welcome to the revival podcast for millennial women, where you can come as you are, where you are in your faith journey. We're here to explore who God is and what he has to say through studying his words in the Bible. Hi, I'm Katherine Elise, and each week it's my intention to take important, relevant topics and examine them with you through the lens of God's word and the good news of Jesus. If you're here for an honest look at scripture, beyond pulling random verses out of context, open to creative ways to connect with the ultimate creator, and hoping for some good old-fashioned critical thinking about living out your faith, you're in the right place. I mean, as a former history teacher, you know I'm not going to let us off the hook with surface-level application. So grab a cup of coffee, put on your favorite sweats, and download that Bible app. Let's get started with today's topic. Lord, I pray that today we would learn more about you and your Son and about our redemption and our reconciliation, that we can be in right relationship with you, that we can know you that we can see how you operate, a glimpse of it through the birth of Christ. Thank you that you don't do things the way that human beings expect. You don't do things the way that we think things should be done or the way that powerful people in the world have done things for many years. And God, I just pray that we would see how different you are, how glorious, how you flip things on their head, and you are God. You are so much more than we could possibly imagine, and you do things in such incredible ways, and I pray that we would learn so much about Jesus today, and that we would really spend time considering Mary's perspective on the birth of your son, Jesus. Please speak through me today. Please let your words come out of my mouth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so a little bit of context. There is actually a lot more to read about Mary, the mother of Jesus, than what I'm going to share today. Today, I'm actually just looking at the birth of Christ through the eyes of Mary, and then at the end, we're going to come to her Magnificat, which is her song that she sings in Luke 1 before the events that we're going to talk about today. So that's just kind of an overview. And the context here is from Luke 1, and then the actual text we're mostly going to focus on is from Luke 2. So Mary, by this point, has already been visited by the angel Gabriel, and she was told that she was going to have a baby even though she was a virgin. This happens. She gets pregnant. She actually also ends up spending three months with her relative Elizabeth, who is also experiencing a miraculous pregnancy. Elizabeth was not a virgin. She was older and she was married, but she was so old that it was very strange that she would have a child and yet she became pregnant with John the Baptist so those two get to interact with each other and spend some time together and that's really cool and if you want to learn more about Elizabeth check out episode 34 then Elizabeth gives birth to John the Baptist and then Luke 2 happens and that's where we're going to pick up the story of Jesus's birth now a quick note that i wanted to get into before we actually read the text I just wanted to kind of preface it by saying that I actually did not grow up in the church. I didn't sing Christmas hymns and I never had a nativity scene in my house. So in church, when we do Christmas hymns, I often do not know them. Like I know other songs that are on the radio. And so I, you know, always kind of feel somewhat left out when those songs are playing, but I'm sure eventually I'll get used to them. That is beside the point. But What I wanted to focus on is the nativity scenes. They were never in my house. I never went to church when I was younger, so I never saw them. And as I aged, I was never really attracted to them. And I really didn't spend time looking at them once I did have more of a reason to. So once I became a Christian, they were around more, but I never really looked at them. In fact, Probably the closest I've ever come to like really examining a nativity scene was in an episode of The Office when Angela is actually forced to stash her nativity scene in a drawer because she has her nativity scene out on her desk at work. That's not to say I've never seen one before, you know, it's just that I don't spend much time like really looking at them. It's kind of interesting because they're they're really everywhere. And all this to say, here's my challenge to you. If you have grown up in the church and you have really looked at nativity scenes many, many times, you've seen the plays, you've done the things, I want you to just momentarily, while I read this passage, forget what you already know about the birth of Christ, the nativity scene. Try to forget about how people have talked about it in the past and about what they've said about it. And as I read, I challenge you to, to hear it, to see it with new eyes and ears. Just simply listen to the Bible's description of Jesus's birth. And this is really the only detailed one in the new Testament is the one I'm going to read right now, which is from Luke two. Now, Mark and John, they don't even really mention the birth scene. And what I'm talking about here is really about the actual birth of Jesus not when the wise men come and visit, not the temple dedication, but the actual birth scene of Christ is really most detailed in Luke one. And there's a little bit on it in Matthew, very little. So for just a minute, forget about inns, forget about animals, forget about modern day looking mangers. Just simply listen to the words that are actually in the passage. Okay. There's my little preface. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. All right, a few notes on the scene before we get into Mary and Jesus. First, the way we see it portrayed, this scene in nativity scenes, is not always entirely accurate. And I know this because I researched it, not because I spent a lot of time looking at nativity scenes. But basically, a lot of the extras that we pictured today are likely added due to Gospels that were questioned and then ultimately rejected from being part of the modern Bible. For example, there was actually a book called Infancy Gospel of James. I'm not going to get too much into that, but basically it was rejected and not included in the New Testament. But it has some things in there that people kind of took as, as being true, and then it got passed through tradition. Um, even though it's been rejected as being part of the Bible, feel free to Google it. I'm not going to get too much more into it, but I just wanted to mention it for those who are interested. Another point is that according to Margaret Mosco, who I will link in the show notes and also a New York Times article by Anita Gates that I will also link in the show notes, Mary and Joseph would not have actually looked for an inn or hotel the way that we imagine that they would have. As it turns out, inns are actually very rare in Israel during this time period because they had this culture of hospitality. And it was a really dearly held cultural value. And so it was a lot more likely that Mary and Joseph actually would have stayed in a private home that someone would give them space to exist in. The only really mention that we have to go off of is Luke 2, verses 6 and 7, which I'll read for you again. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And that's it. So they couldn't really find a room, (laughs) like a room room, like a room in a house, but it's not likely that they stayed in a barn. And I think we often picture like they were in a, a barn the way that we have them today, and there was different animals and different stalls, and there was this manger that Mary saw, so she put the baby in it. I'm not saying she didn't use a manger. It clearly says that she did, but it's not really the way that we would have pictured it. That wouldn't be in line with the hospitable culture, and also there would have been some issues with cleanliness and staying with actual animals in Jewish culture. If you've ever read through Leviticus, Deuteronomy some of those Old Testament books that are full of law, you know that the Jewish people had really specific standards of cleanliness. And so to stay in an area where animals actively are is a pretty unlikely scenario. However, a more likely scenario, according to Margaret Moscow, is that they actually stayed in a private home, but on the lower story, like the downstairs, where families sometimes would keep their livestock at night but it's unlikely that the animals were actually there when Jesus was born because, again, the cleanliness issues. But picturing them in the downstairs of a house is a lot different than picturing them in a freezing cold barn that's off in the middle of a field or something like that. So I just want to point that out. Another point that Moscow makes is that the manger could have been a feeding trough for animals, or the word can also be interpreted as a stall for animals. That doesn't mean the animals were there, but it was probably designed for them. The word for manger can really be translated either way. Now, the last thing here is I actually wanted to read a section of the New York Times article that describes Jesus's birth. And I think it's really helpful and interesting to consider that there were probably midwives there to help Mary deliver her baby, because that would have been in line with the culture. So I'll read it to you. Quote, if Mary and Joseph were travelers, they were probably not looking for an inn in the modern sense. People may have rented out rooms in their house to pilgrims passing through. Either way, Mary, who may have been only 14 or 15, probably gave birth in the lower level of a private house where the animals were kept. It was a very modest, small stone house with tiny windows or no windows at all. You want light? Go outdoors. Because she was poor, Mary did not have a birthing stool, the choice of wealthy women at that time. She had a midwife and delivered standing up, leaning against the midwife's assistance, who helped with the pushing by massaging Mary's abdomen. Joseph waited nervously outside. Afterwards, Mary took a mikvah, or a purifying bath. There was a circumcision, and what sounds like a modern brie, with extended family coming over for a special meal and a sacrifice. The Bible says a couple of birds at the temple. End quote. So this is really interesting to consider that maybe she had these midwives there. Likely she did. And likely Joseph would not have been there for the actual birth of Christ. He probably would have been waiting outside the room. I don't know if he was actually outside, outside, but by tradition, he would not have actually been present for the birth. And then likely Mary would have had a purifying bath. And then we do know later in Luke, it says that she does, she and Joseph do go to the temple. And that's where Anna the prophet comes in. So if you want to look more into that, check out episode 33. That article also mentions that one thing few people actually argue with, because there's lots of debate when it comes to the birth of Jesus. But one thing most people agree to is that Jesus was born into poor circumstances. And I think that this really gives us great insight into who God is, into our Lord. So keep that in mind. All right. For the remainder, we will talk about the qualities of Mary and how she saw the birth of Christ, and then we'll take a look at what we can learn about Jesus. Now, the first thing I want to point out about Mary is that she is very resourceful. She likely didn't have a crib; otherwise, she would have put her baby in a crib. But she did place Jesus in a manger. She used what was available to her in that situation, despite the fact that it was a pretty poor situation, meaning. not many resources. So she used what was there, even though it was a pretty humble action to do, even though she knew she had just given birth to the Messiah, she put him in a manger. What kind of insight does that give us into who Mary knew God to be? That he would be okay with her putting the savior of the world in an animal manger? Deep insight. I think she was really, really understanding of a lot of things that we need to continue learning about god also she had to give birth in this situation man i gave birth as i mentioned many times recently and it is a crazy process and i hope that she had midwives there or that god intervened somehow to help her deliver that baby because to do that by yourself would be really 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 hard So she actually gives birth to Jesus in pretty poor circumstances, but she makes the best of it and she's resourceful with what she has available to her. Secondly, she was a strong girl who trusted God. And normally I am very careful to call women in the Bible women, but honestly, she is not a full grown woman. She is a girl. She is probably 14 or 15 years old. Young. And that is so much younger than we think is appropriate today. But that's likely the age that she was when she gives birth. But she was strong and she placed her trust in God, which enabled her to be strong. And she trusted that God is going to fulfill his promises. And she actually considered herself blessed. She says that earlier in Luke 1, that she considers herself a blessed woman. Man, if I had to go through this, I don't know if I would be able to say that I was a blessed woman, I'd probably feel picked on or traumatized in some ways, knowing that I was going to have to give, give birth to a baby outside of wedlock and knowing the cultural drawbacks that that comes with. Third, she had a deep, deep understanding of God, especially for such a young girl. She has strong theology. And I think that this strong theology is actually best demonstrated in her Magnificat which I'm going to read at the end of this podcast episode just to kind of wrap us up and conclude us because I think it is truly lovely and has so much rich theology and I just love it. Fourth, she was humble and obedient. Mary did not have great resources, as I've said before. She did not have the finances and the influence and the status. But I believe that God actually chose her because she didn't have those things. She had something more valuable to God. I believe God chose her for her heart, her obedience, her humility, and probably a lot of other reasons that I'm never going to know. God saw her heart in a way that I can't know. But this just shows us how much God can use anybody. Whether you have a lot to give or a little bit to offer, it is not up to you to decide whether you are worthy to serve God, whether you have enough to serve him, whether you have enough gifts or talents or skills or finances or whatever. It's up to God to decide. And likely he wants to use you. He wants to give your life meaning and purpose and beauty in ways that you will never understand until you are humble and obedient to him. I know that's been true in my life. And I also know that that's hard to do. It's always a struggle for me. Fifth and last, she treasured things in her heart and she was thoughtful. After the shepherds visit and proclaim the identity of Jesus, there's actually a mention of Mary. And it's one of my favorite verses in this chapter. And it's verse 19. And it says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. She treasured God's faithfulness. She treasured her baby, Jesus. She knew his identity. She knew he was the Messiah, the savior of the world. She had been given the special knowledge by God and she treasured it in her heart. She treasured seeing it come to fruition She treasured seeing it confirmed through the miraculous workings of God as evidenced by what happened with the shepherds. She treasured it. She stored it. She gave it value in her heart. And also she pondered it. She pondered, it says. And I love this. She thought, women are designed to think, to ponder, to wonder to ponder the things of God. Your brain was designed to ponder the things of God. Don't let your ideas of whether you're smart enough or whatever insecurities that we all have, don't let them get in the way of what you were designed to do. Wonder about your God. Be filled with awe, think about him, wrestle with things, talk to him. Dive deep. Let your brain wrestle and and think about and move through doctrine and theology and hermeneutics and a deep understanding of scripture, a deep connection with the Holy Spirit, a deep understanding of your God. Think of him. He gave you a brain for a reason. Please use it. Lastly, what can we learn about Jesus? And I love this. We can learn so much about Jesus through the fact that he was actually just born. The son of God was born. It's crazy. First, I want to say that he came into this world poor. Jesus truly, truly emptied himself of his due glory, and it was due to him, to be here in this world. And was he born to kings and queens and people in authority and power? No, he was not. He was born to a young virgin in a place designed for animals to live. This is the humility of our Savior. He identified time and time again throughout his life with the poor, the lowest, the outcast, those who would never be given a chance. Earthly status and wealth meant nothing to him, and it still doesn't. And who did God choose as a witness to Jesus' birth? He chose Mary, who witnessed it very firsthand. He chose Joseph, probably some midwives, and for sure some shepherds. Look at who he chose to witness the birth of Christ the savior of the world. Secondly, he is our savior. And I want to reread Luke chapter 10, verses 10 through 14. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is our Savior, the one that was promised to Israel, one who would come, be born into the darkness of this world live a perfect life, and sacrifice himself on a cross for our sin, that we would be made in right relationship with God, that we would be redeemed, that we would be close, so close to God in a way that we couldn't be without Jesus' sacrifice, without his saving grace. This is what we celebrate during Christmas. Third, he is the fulfillment of God's promises. God promised his people a savior. It's all throughout the Old Testament. And he told his people that he would give them someone who would deliver Israel and also the Gentiles from sin that we could be made in right relationship with him. And there's so many actual details and prophecies and mentions of the coming savior throughout the Old Testament. It is a treasure trove of gems that talk about Jesus. And those prophecies are fulfilled. The ones that have come to pass so far, there are ones that will still be fulfilled in the future. But one example of that is actually from Micah chapter 5, verses 2. This is a book in the Old Testament. And this is just a small, small taste of the prophecies that were made before Jesus' birth about him. Quote, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Jesus is born in Bethlehem from the clan of Judah, and he is our king, and he will actually be a literal king in the future. This is one glimpse into so many different things we can see in the Old Testament that talk about the birth of Jesus. Fourth and last, Jesus had special connections with women, and I made this point last week, and I think it's worth repeating again. He was born without the help of men, right? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in a woman, the Virgin Mary, and from this woman our Savior was born. Probably Joseph wasn't even there, likely. And Jesus had a special connection with Mary. He had a special connection with every single one of his people. And of course, he has special connections with men, but also those get emphasized a lot in the church. Let's not miss that Jesus has special, intimate, deep connections with women all the time in the New Testament. It is there if we will look for it. And even when the women are not mentioned, they are there, just like the midwives are likely there helping Mary birth Jesus. Look for opportunities. Ask yourself when you're reading about Jesus's life, were women probably there? And a lot of times the answer is yes. Did Jesus have close relationships with women? Yes. Did Jesus love women and cherish them and respect them and show them and teach them? Yes. I want to end today with Mary's song. It's called The Magnificat. And I want you to just listen. The next episode, if you want to, I will actually read it again and you'll be able to take time to apply each of the verses. It is beautiful. It is prophetic and it is full of incredible theology. And it's from the mother of our savior. So I'm going to read it right now from Luke chapter one, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. I hope those words stay with you during this Christmas season, and also that you will take the time to read for yourself Luke chapter one and two. Thank you for joining. I'll talk to you next week. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the revival podcast for millennial women. If you got something meaningful out of today's episode, please subscribe and leave me a review on Apple podcasts. These reviews help more women find the show and it helps grow our community. Plus, these reviews help me see how God is using this podcast and that my friends blesses me greatly. Oh, and be sure to check out the show notes for more ways to connect with me. See you next time.